0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا مولانا الله عليه وعلى اله واصحابه وازواجه وذرياته واهل بيته ومن تبعهم باحسان الى يوم todays lesson begins with mention of the uh, sword of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Babu Majafi, Srifati Saifi Rasulillahi alayhi salatu wasallam. Uh and in, in reality the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a number of suyuf. he had a number of swords. Uh one of the more famous amongst which is uh Dulfiqar, which was also wielded by Sayyidna Ali Radiallah Ta'ala Anhu, but it was not by far, by by far not the only sword of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he has uh, many different swords of different types. Uh, and the further descriptions of the swords of the uh, Nabi Ali is a very in-depth topic that we will leave for another time and place in the interest of, in the interest of um, progressing uh, through the book, this being our last dars, at least for this series before the beginning of uh, the Mubarak month of Ramadan. Uh, and so Tirmidhi uh, seems to be, as a muhadith, less interested in the actual archaeology of the particular swords in question but uh, brings a certain ahadith that gives uh, descriptions of the swords of the Prophet وسلم, and it's not necessary that all of the hadith uh, are about the same sword in particular And in general, uh, one gets the idea that the swords of the Arabs uh, in in that time that were in vogue and the designs that were uh, preferred by them uh, were uh, those that came from India, from the Indian subcontinent. And, uh, you know, if you look in even museums uh, that have the old swords from that time, they're not of the type of the shamshir, like the scimitar design that uh, the Persians used to uh, prefer. Uh, later on, that are oftentimes actually even associated with the Muslim armies. Uh, nor were they like the the, the Turkic or Mongol design uh, of the saber, which is a kind of a hybrid between a a, a slashing and a stabbing weapon. Uh, rather, the swords that the Arabs seem to prefer were of the Indian type. They were neither curved nor are they stabbing weapons. Rather, uh, for those of you who are tradition, you know familiar with traditional Indian swords, uh, there's a type of sword called a khanda uh, in Punjabi, which is essentially a long sword that doesn't taper near the ends. And it seems that the those swords were were preferred uh, by by the Arabs. And it seems that if you look in the top Kapi Palace and if you look in the other uh, you know in the other places where the swords of this era are kept and attributed to the Prophet and the companions, many of them took this design. And the advantage of a sword, the tip tapering to the end is, of course, that the, the center of gravity is closer to the hand, so it's easier to, it's easier to wield it and maneuver it around. Uh, whereas a sword which doesn't taper, the center of gravity is further out, and so when it hits, it hits much harder. Uh, but it takes far more strength to maneuver around. There is the famous uh, Atharav, uh, uh, I believe. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu and one of the companions al ibn Ma'di Karab or, or uh, one of the companions uh, at any rate uh, Who Sayyidina Umar asked to borrow his sword because the sword is legendary and then he finds that it's not as uh, useful in battle as he had thought it would be and then uh, he writes this to the one he borrowed the sword from and and uh, that that companion writes back to him. He says, "This is safer beside that uh, the sword doesn't come with the, the forearm that wields it, the forearm." And this is very interesting, actually. The forearm gets very little use from the gym. This muscle right here, uh, um, and it's not, you know, as built in people nowadays as it was before. Whereas that's the 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 maneuvering of the sword. That's the uh, the muscle that uh, that it uses. Uh, and so one gets the impression that the, those uh, balanced or top heavy swords uh, were the ones that the arabs used to prefer and they sure boy they sure packed a punch uh, and so uh, uh, we begin inshallah uh, with this preamble sifati rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa بوهس نادر قال الترمذي رحمه الله تبارك وتعالى حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا وهب بن جرير قال حدثنا ابي قال عن عن انس رضي الله عنه قال كان السيف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من so we uh, read the first narration uh, from Anas anhu that said the pommel of the sword of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was of silver and so the pommel is what? the pommel is uh, the weight uh, in, the, in, the, in the handle of the sword at the bottom of the handle and so it serves as a counterweight uh, so, that, uh, so that the person can balance the sword in their hand uh, a bit easier And so that the pommel of the sword of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was made of silver وبيقى محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا أبي عن عن قال كانت رسول الله الله عليه وسلم من so we here uh, narrated similarly uh, uh, from uh, side uh, the ibn Abu Hasan Basri who says that again the pommel of the sword of the messenger of Allah sallallahu uh, is made of silver wa bihi hadathana abu Ja'farin muhammad ibn sudran al basriyu qa hadathana al-talib ibn hujair an hudan wa ibn abdullah nisaydan an jaddihi qala adkhala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makkata yom al-fath wa ala sayfihi dhahab wa fidhah قَالَ طَالِبٌ فَسَأَلْتُهُ عَنِ الْفِضَّةِ قَالَ كَانَتْ قَبِيْعَةُ السَّيْفِ فِضَّةً Sayyidina Hud bin Abdullah bin Sa'id narrates from his grandfather uh, that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam entered Makkah uh, Mukarramah on the day of Fath and uh, his sword was adorned with silver, with gold and silver, uh, and uh, uh, Talib said, I asked him about the silver, and he said that the silver was in the pommel of the sword, silver was in the pommel of the sword. حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ شُجَاعٍ الْبَغْدَادِيُّ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو عُبَيْدَةَ الْحَدَّادُ عَنْ عُثْمَانَ بْنِ سَعْدٍ عن ابي سيرينه قال صنعت سيفي على س... صنعت السيفي على السيفي وزعم سمورى انه صنع سيفه على سيف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وكان حنفيا so we see that Muhammad bin سيرين uh, رحمه الله تعالى said that i uh, had my my sword manufactured or made according to the design of the sword of Samurat ibn Jundub and Samurat ibn Jundub uh, claimed that his sword was uh, uh, designed uh, uh, on, the, on the prototype of the uh, sword of the Messenger of Allah and then he further said that the sword was Hanafi of course this doesn't mean that the sword uh, uh, would pray with her with one Salah. Uh, or that the sword abstained from most types of non-fish seafood Uh, but Hanafi here means Banu Hanifa which was one of the great tribes of the Arabs Um, and uh, the people of Banu Hanifa were uh, you know they they had amongst them the knowledge of of smithy, of sword smithy, of making uh, swords so their blacksmiths used to prefer a particular design in swords Uh, and so he said that it was a sword that was in the Hanafi style and ترمذي uh, brings another hadith uh, another hadith uh, with the same text because the hadith is a text and it's a chain of narrations so it's considered a different hadith even if the text is Uh, The same, but the chain of narration is different. So he brings the same text with a different chain of narration So there are a couple of things uh, to to, to, uh, You know just mention um, Before uh, because it's the end of the chapter There's a couple of things to mention before moving on. One is that the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually had sword, (laughs) Which means that there's there's no harm nor is there any Uh shame or dishonor or or dislikedness in a believer uh, having a weapon and uh, the sword is uh, a weapon that requires uh, some learning how to use uh, it's a hadith of the nabi sallallahu that he said rumhi, that my provision was uh, uh, was written for me that i should receive it in the shade of my spear And so a spear is a weapon that uh, takes far less training to be able to wield uh, uh, expertly and effectively. And it's the weapon of a common foot soldier, not of the elite. Uh, Because uh, not only does it take less training to be able to wield effectively, but there's far less metal that's involved in making a spear. Uh, And so the expense of the spear is less than the expense of making a sword. And so this is the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam First of all, his it's, it's his expression of him being a uh, a common man and one who has something in common with uh, the common man not being elitist but the point of me mentioning it right now because he also did have a sword is, is, is that one, it's a sunnah to be armed, to have a weapon and there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't mean you're a bad person or a violent person or a person who is prone to violence, or a person who is uh, a violence, uh, you know, you know, violence monger. That's not what it means at all. It means what? It means that you are a person who is concerned with defending themselves and defending their family, and who is ready if uh, people with ill intent uh, wish to do harm uh, to one or to one's family, or to one's home, or to one's people. Uh, uh, that uh, that person is ready to resist and this is the pride of everyone who says la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah there are many people who have bad intentions toward uh, the deen of Islam and toward the Muslims and toward uh, humanity in general and toward the creation of Allah Ta'ala who would if they could get away with it enslave people and uh, take their rights and their land and their property from them and uh, uh, use them as livestock and agriculture and we say no, we say that this is a very satanic mindset, this Iblisian mindset that, that a person should use another human being and abuse another human being m- merely and purely for their own material gain. Uh, this is a type of, you know, this type of attitude could only come from a, a, a satanic arrogance. Uh, and we mentioned in yesterday's fiqh on um, on the other YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Uh, Hamza, H-A-M-Z-A-H-W-A-L-D-M-A-Q-B-U-L that uh, there's, you know, we have mentioned a discussion about this, that uh, if there's any sin which is akin to kufr, akin to disbelief, it's arrogance. It's seeing that you're better than another person and looking down on other people and thinking that that you deserve one thing and they deserve something else and uh, that you're better than other people. And so, uh, you know, those people should be resisted and God bless whoever resists them and protects our, 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 our right to uh, believe and worship and our right to earn a living for our families and our right to be free as Muslims and as Americans. Uh, so we, uh, you know, so there's no harm in having a weapon. And this is actually one of the very interesting things. This is one of the things that, that uh, uh, you know, uh, being a Muslim and being an American culturally they, they share in common and it's very interesting that there's a great amount of propaganda that people who have very bad uh, designs and intentions and ill will toward uh, you know humanity and toward the creation of god that have uh, said that well you know uh, as muslims you people are violent and so in order to uh, be good people you need to all become bunny rabbits and uh, the only person who's uh, uh, you know interested is for uh, people to become bunny rabbits is uh, the fat cats uh, why because when you're a bunny rabbit eating you becomes all the all the more easy uh, and so we say that not only is there no harm in owning a weapon but in fact it is a sunnah uh, and uh, obviously a person who is violent a person who has a sickness mental illness that that precludes them from being able to restrain themselves when they should be able to restrain themselves from thinking clearly a person who is hot-headed and those people are an exception those people shouldn't shouldn't own weapons Uh, they should not uh, have access to weapons they should sit this one out they should uh, worship Allah Ta'ala and follow sunnah in other ways that are more appropriate for them but for the average person for a person who's level-headed who obeys the law and uh, who is not prone toward violence for whom violence is not uh, the answer but uh, a, a last resort uh, for such people, you know, even them just owning weapons uh, and having them is a deterrent. You think about the uh, you know, the, the massacre that happened in New Zealand, very sad, heartbreaking massacre that happened in New Zealand not too long ago. The guy literally went from masjid to masjid, there was nobody who was armed who could stop him. In America, if it was, uh, you know, one of any mas- a number of masajids in America where brothers actually come, there are certain discreet brothers who are trustworthy and very calm and very level-headed that uh, that are armed inside the masjid that, you know, that huge high count of, uh, of, of murders would not have been able to be racked up. And look, someone comes in, uh, you know, surprises you in the masjid and one or two people die. That's like, and that is what it is. You can't do anything about that. But when someone can go through Jummah and like go from the men's section to the women's section from one masjid to another and kill like, you know, 30 odd people. Um, this is this is a failure on our part to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And so there should be in every masjid a couple of level-headed people, discreet people, law-abiding people Well-trained uh, and not hot-headed, not impetuous people uh, That should be always armed and in general uh, this is a, a you know something that, that, that that's praiseworthy for the one who will uh, do so uh, uh, you know who will do so in the service of you know the defenseless and service of the innocent Um, and then in you know Muslim countries that then extends to you know if the the rulers are righteous people who are trying their best it extends to the police and to the army and to uh, uh, the other uh, you know government uh, mandated Uh, armed uh, uh, forces that are there for the protection of the people and like yeah there are a lot of bad things happening in the Muslim world but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of good things in a lot of good places and a lot of soldiers and police officers that have the intention that they you know they would they want to use their training and their their arms for the sake of good so that's a good thing inshallah you know if you can go if you're in America you can go get your concealed weapons permit you can train safely then you know, These ahadith are a proof that, uh, that, uh, that that's, that's a sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, for the one who atten- intends it for that reason And for the one who uses their weapons like the Messenger of Allah وسلم, uses them It's recorded that the Prophet وسلم, only killed one person in battle uh, Only killed one person with his Mubarak wasallam in battle Otherwise, he was not a, a warmonger, nor was he, and that was in battle, that was not execution, that was in the open battlefield. Uh, that was not a, an execution, nor was it a, any any sort of like, a, a, you know, wanton violence. Uh, it was in the open battlefield uh, in defense of Medina munawwara And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases reward for that. Uh, and so that's one thing that we learned from this. And the reason for one of the reasons for mentioning the hadith of the spear is what is that it's not only a sword. You don't have to only go and get a sword. The sunnah is fulfilled by whatever weapon is appropriate for the time, age, training, and ability that you have. Uh, otherwise, uh, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi also uh, uh, had a bow and arrow, and he was also an accomplished archer. Alayhi, alayhi sallam, and he encouraged the ummah to also learn archery as well and to continually keep practicing so that the uh, so that the skill stays fresh and it doesn't uh, uh, rot away. And, uh, you know, if someone wants to talk about, talk about the weapons of the Prophet وسلم, that's a very big topic that should be addressed, inshallah. Um, but we'll, we'll suffice with the discussion at hand with regards to the sword. One other thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, it was mentioned that the pommel of the sword of the Rasul was made of silver and uh it was also mentioned that the hadith of the prophet had gold and silver in it as well that there's gold as well as silver and there's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama you know like with regards to the gold on the sword what does this mean and is it allowed the mashaykh of the maliki say that having gold on the sword for a man is a sharia sanctioned exception exception to the rule of uh adornment with gold being haram for men and uh, uh you know what are some exceptions like if you have a gold tooth or like a gold nose or ear because the metal uh, doesn't irritate the, the the skin as much uh, and this is one of the exemptions that the maliki Mashaf mentioned is for the sword why because in the heat of battle the glisten of the blade with silver and gold uh, is far sharper and it intimidates the enemy uh, which means what we're not a people who take out our swords and settle our differences through violence uh, but if Circumstances push us to the point where there's really no other option uh, Then at that point uh, even a weapons instructor in the United States who's not a Muslim will tell you uh, You never take your gun out unless you have to kill somebody and if you take it out. This is how you do it uh, And so the Prophet Sallallahu means that his weapons were the best and uh, these, uh, you know, this proves it that, that uh, you know obviously the weapon that has the gold that glistens in the sunlight, uh, it's going to be more expensive and more expertly made than the uh, than the uh, the weapon that is simpler. And uh, let everybody spend the money on their weapon that they spend within their means uh, and within what's reasonable. It's not worth like not paying rent on you know for your children's. Uh, a domicile for the next month but whatever you can afford let one spend on it to get the best weapon that they can and hope that uh, this uh, money that's spent is considered a نَفَقَ fi sabilillah uh, an expenditure in the path of Allah Ta'ala which will be rewarded and remember the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I mean he only owned a pair of clothes at a time he was not a man who had many, uh, uh, many worldly belongings and uh, these were the, the you know, the, the, the sword, the weapons, the uh, armor of the Prophet sallallahu These are the only things that he owned that, that were of significant value uh, Other than perhaps some land allotment that was given to him from the, from the fate, uh, of Fadak and, and things like that, etc But uh, these were the only like articles and objects that he owned that were of like significant value, monetary value uh, which means that what he considered them spending on them not to be a part of the dunya, but to be part of the deen uh, and Allah gives taufiq. Babu ma jaa fi sifati dira Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The chapter regarding what has been narrated concerning the description of the armor of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Abu Hijaah hadithan Abu Sa'idin Abdullah bin Sa'idin al-Ashajji. قال حدثنا يونس بن بوكيرن عن محمد بن إسحاق عن يحيى بن عباد بن عبد الله بن الزبير عن أبيه عن جده عبد الله بن الزبير عن الزبير بن العوامي رضي الله عنهما قال كان على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم أحد درعاني فنهض إلى إلى الساخرة فلم يستطع فأقعد طلحة تحته It's a beautiful hadith About the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam About his uh, armor That is narrated by Abdullah ibn Zubair ibn Awam uh, From his father Zubair ibn Awami Allah Ta'ala have mercy And uh, be pleased with both of them uh, that the Prophet ﷺ wore two, uh, two coats of armor on the day of Uhud. Uh, the two coats of armor on the day of Uhud. And he attempted to climb up a rock but was unable to. The rock was too high, the gap was too high for him to be able to get up. And obviously the armor is uh, will weigh a person down uh, as well and so the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam he asked for help from Talha so who's narrating this is Zubair bin Awam who was like like the best friend of Talha ibn Ubaidillah both of them from the Ashram Mubasharin Bil Jannah the 10 who were uh, promised paradise uh, in this world by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his promise is the Haqq his promise is, 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 is unmitigatedly true uh, and so uh, he asked uh, Talha to uh, to sit uh, so that he can uh, uh, climb onto him, uh, and then from hi- from climbing on onto him, get up on the rock, which itself is still not easy. Um, uh, but uh, Sayyidina Talha had the saad the Prophet وسلم, was able to climb on him, and then from there get up on top of the rock and stand. And the Messenger of Allah وسلم, then remarked, uh, "O Jabba Talha, Talha has made it wajib. Talha has made it incumbent. Meaning what? Talha by this deed." Allah has made paradise incumbent on him that he should enter paradise it becomes an obligation now which is a great sa'adah indeed it's a great honor indeed uh, which uh, you know from amongst the many things that it shows that the messenger of Allah himself was hustling when going to battle it wasn't easy you know he was exerting himself and he was pushing himself uh, in that uh, in that uh, in that pursuit and it's one of his many sacrifices as well as uh, one of the many sacrifices of his companions may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him and upon his companions and may allah be pleased with them all أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان عليه يوم أحود درعاني فقد ظاهر بينهما Yazid, uh, بن, uh, بن يزيد رضي الله عنه narrates that the battle of Uhud The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wore two pieces of armor and one overlapped over the other He had a, a inner coat of armor and an outer coat of armor uh, that he uh, that he used to wear and uh, again, uh, the armor of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was one of the few uh, uh, sets of objects that he had that were of significant monetary value. Um, in fact, the Nabi وسلم, at some point or another, when he needs to borrow grain from one of, the, one of his Jewish neighbors in Medina Munawwara, the rahn, the uh, the collateral that he gives to secure the loan is his armor which also shows how how poor he was. I mean if you have to borrow grain from somebody um, that's that's a sign of how poor you were but he didn't skimp on these things that are used for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. When it came to spending money for the sake of Allah, uh, he paid for good armor, he paid for good swords and for good uh, weapons. Uh, These are not things to skimp on, rather these are the things that you save the money on when you spend them for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, that's uh, uh, that's a saada. It's a, it's it's an act of piety. To be cheap in these things is itself eh? <coughs> a type of bukhul or miserliness, uh, which uh, makes a person lose out on reward uh, in this world and in the next in the next world. So when you buy something for the masjid, when you buy something for your madaris, when you buy something uh, for the education of your own children, you know, when you buy something for your own education, you spend money on your books. Uh, or or, uh, if you buy even like we had mentioned from before a weapon in order to defend yourself and your family uh, it's bad adab to skimp on these things and just like that it's bad adab to skimp and to bargain too hard when you're buying uh, the cloth for your ihram when making hajj or when you're buying the cloth for your own kafan for your own funeral shroud because to uh, uh, pinch every penny as it were which is a proud habit of many Immigrant and immigrant zada, uh, a descendant of immigrant uh, children like myself, um, but it's inappropriate when it has when it comes to the deen. A person should be open-handed with these types of things uh, and not pinch every penny because somehow in doing so you get uh, involved in something that's missing the point, missing the larger point. Babuma ja sifati milfarir Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. A chapter regarding what has been narrated concerning the description of the helmet of the messenger of Allah Sallallahu uh, uh, And in this case the helmet of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi uh, uh, was made out of chainmail. It was like a uh, a, a, a Chain mail that was tailored to fit the Mubarak head of the Prophet Sallallahu So this is a, a, a helmet made out of uh, rings that are interlinking, and the turban would be tied, uh, uh, would be tied from above it. ibn said, malik ibn Anasan, Ibn Shihaban, Anas ibn رضي الله عنه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مكة وعليه uh, uh, so this is the uh, hadith narrated by Anas bin Malik That uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam entered makkah Mukarrama uh, uh, And it's the day of the Fath Otherwise he didn't enter armed and uh, uh, armored uh, otherwise this is the day that uh, the day of the conquest of Makkah Mukarram, Allah Ta'ala as an exemption uh, which we see from the narration of uh, Abu Shuraih al Qadi, Radiyallahu Anhu Abu Shurayha, who is a companion from the Ashab Al sufa who will later be uh, appointed as a judge uh, during the days of the Caliphate uh, A very well-learned Companion uh, of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, that Allah made the haram halal on that day just for a few hours and the Prophet said it will never be made halal again until the Yom al qiyamah meaning Allah ta'ala permitted the Prophet to fight in order to expel the mushrikeen the idolaters and their idols from the masjid al haram and from the haram the the sacred boundary that surrounds Makkah Mukarramah on that day and then afterward uh, 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 until the day of judgment it would not be permitted ever again Uh, the the Haram and all of its sacred uh, restrictions uh, would be uh, implemented again and despite the fact by the way that the haram was made halal on that day for the Prophet we will see that indeed uh, even then the Prophet ﷺ ex- exercised extreme caution and uh, went out of his way to not uh, violate the hurma of the haram sharif even though Allah had allowed it f- for him for those hours of that, of that Mubarak day. And with that, hadathana Isa Ibn Ahmed, hadathana Abdullah Ibn Wahbin, said, Malik Ibn Anas, Ibn Shihab, Ibn Anas Ibn Malik, radiAllahu anhum, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ad-dakhala Makkah ta'am al-fathhi wa'ala r-asihi al-mulferu, said, when he came a man, he said to and so this is a hadith we didn't finish from translating the hadith before but it, it talks about the same it talks about the same uh, um, incident which is that uh, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa in the year of the fath when he entered makkah mukarrama his head was covered with the uh, chainmail helm uh, uh with the milfar uh, and his mubarak head was covered and protected by it and uh, after he had taken it off later on uh, a man came to him and said that ibn khatal is hanging from the uh from the covers of the kaaba seeking refuge and the prophet sallallahu said kill him and ibn shihab uh, uh, says that it reached me that the, that day the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not a muhrim, he entered into Makkah Mukarramah, not in the sacrosanct pilgrim state. Um, which is important, why? Because the fuqaha said that a person who enters from the afaq, from the from outside of uh, the immediate area surrounding Makkah Mukarramah, that person <coughs> out of honor of the house of Allah Ta'ala has to enter as a muhrim in a sacrosanct pilgrim state and first pay homage to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Hajj or Umrah then be released from the uh, pilgrim state and then whatever other business they have they can go about it but because that year was a special year Allah had given them permission to enter into Makkah and to destroy the idols of the uh, of the idolaters and the polytheists of Quraysh and to cleanse and restore the house of Allah ta'ala to the worship of one God uh, for which it was built by our father Ibrahim alayhi uh, salam. For that reason, that year he didn't enter into Makkah Mukarramah as a muhrim. Rather, he entered in uh, his arms and armor as a warrior, as a commander of an army. And what's the proof? The proof is that one of the proofs is that he had his head covered, because a man cannot have his head or his head or his face or his hands covered when he's a muhrim, when he's in the uh, sacrosanct pilgrim state. So the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had the milfar uh, on his Mubarak head uh, is a proof that he didn't enter as a muhrim. Uh, as well as, obviously, uh, you cannot give the order to kill somebody, if, uh, whether it's by virtue of justice or otherwise, you can't give that order if you're in a pilgrim state. It's haram even to give the order to kill an animal, uh, much less a human being. And so, uh, there's a little bit uh, that should be explained uh, in the footnote uh, <coughs> appended to, appended to these uh, two hadiths by Sheikh Abdul Aziz Suraqa and Sheikh Muhammad Aslam. Allah subhanahu wa taala reward them and increase their rank uh, for this wonderful work that they did. Uh, they write: Ibn Khatal was a dangerous individual who had embraced Islam and later rejected it and uh, in his rejection of it he had murdered a muslim man who had served him and would uh, so basically he murdered a, a muslim and then ran from justice to uh, to the mushrikeen and so he not only reneged on his deen but he also had the blood of an innocent man on his hands and he would later lampoon the Prophet ﷺ in the Muslim community and purchase two slave girls ordering them to sing songs against the Prophet ﷺ and his honored family. Because of these offenses, the Prophet ﷺ passed judgment as the legal authority and ordered that he be killed. On the day of conquest, uh, uh, the Prophet وسلم, entered Makkah Muqarrama victoriously. Ibn Khattal tried to take advantage of the inviolability of the Kaaba by running to it and clinging to its coverings. The Prophet somehow however ordered uh, uh, the Prophet ordered uh, to take advantage of the uh, not, sorry, Ibn Khattal tried to take advantage of the uh, inviolability of the Kaaba by running to it and clinging to its coverings but the Prophet ordered that he be killed for his offenses and so Ammar bin Yasir radhiallahu anhu and Sa'id bin Hurayth uh, erased each other to get to him. Sa'id bin Hurayth was the first to reach him and he killed him. Imam Ba'juri notes uh, that some authorities said that it was Abu Burza that killed uh, Ibn Khatal, although it's possible to reconcile this apparent contradiction by stating uh, that Abu Burza and Sa'id killed Ibn Khattal together between the well of Zamzam and the station of Ibrahim. Uh, Imam Ba'juri goes on to address a possible objection to this report namely how can it be reconciled with the statement of the Prophet that whoever uh, enters the sacred mosque will be secure he responds that Ibn Khattab was one of the four individuals to whom this general amnesty did not apply uh, all uh, of whom uh, insulted the Prophet and posed a a real threat to society thereby forfeiting their amnesty these are people who already uh, uh, you know unlike the mushrikeen of Quraysh who are openly at war with the Prophet they were all offered a new amnesty. Uh, these four are those people who were uh, uh, who were people who uh, basically were treacherous with the Messenger of Allah (sallallahu alaihi wasallam) in some way or another. Uh, and this is part of the <clears throat> this is part of the uh, magnanimity of the Sharia that those people who wish to enter into the uh, peace and security and pact with the Muslims uh, are almost universally offered it. However, those people who took advantage of it and then treacherously broke it in the past. Uh, what's in their heart is between them and Allah Ta'ala, but uh, You know the believer is not bitten from the same hole twice uh, And so they already had voided their advantage of, uh, of uh, security the pact of security from uh, uh, Islam and from the Muslims and uh, For that reason uh, they were by just right and authority killed and in this case what makes it special is not necessarily that he was killed uh, for his treachery, but that on that day it so happened that the Kaaba itself uh, if anyone uh, tried to resist the breaking of the idols Allah had made it uh, permissible for the Muslims to uh, move them out of the way by force and uh, this was one of the individuals who uh, took refuge in the Kaaba not, perhaps not knowing that that day Allah had given permission uh, for the spilling of blood in that holy place which it's not going to be given uh, ever again until Yom Qiyamah so he ordered four people uh, to be killed whenever wherever they were found on that day Huwairith bin Nuqaid, and Hilal bin Khatal, and Maqis bin Subaba and Subhanallah, this is the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Abdullah bin Nabi Sarh, who uh, actually accepted Islam and wasn't killed. He had accepted Islam and he actually was not killed. Uh, And in fact there are other people who, uh, there are other people who are on the list and they had accepted Islam and they they also weren't killed. and they repented uh, to the Prophet SallAllahu before hands could be laid on them. And those people, the Prophet SallAllahu uh, Alaihi let them go and forgave them. So there's a lot of people who, mashallah, bang on about you know the importance of forgiveness and this and that, and look, the Prophet SallAllahu was so bloodthirsty and blah, blah, blah. And those are the same people who uh, advocate the destruction of entire nations and killing of women children as collateral damage. This is the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi that had after 20-some-odd years of oppression and his own relatives being killed uh, mercilessly and his followers being killed mercilessly not because they're competing for money or resources but because they said you shouldn't bury your infant daughters alive and the strong shouldn't oppress the weak and uh, that calling upon stone and idols is not going to help you and so he had a very short list of people who were uh, to be killed and like half of them he didn't end up killing them either uh, and this is this is a mercy. This is, this is he's rahmatul mean, he's a mercy. And those that he killed, there's a mercy as well, because there are some individuals that make so much mischief; they make life unbearable for everybody else. Uh, and to you know, and because of that, they will sow more mischief than is. Removed by, uh, that is made by their removal. So in that is a mercy, and in not killing them is a mercy. And the Prophet, sallam, by far, the ones he didn't kill are far greater in number and in scope than the ones that he did. May the peace and blessing of Allah ta'ala be upon him and upon his companions. Babu fi sifati imamati rasulullah. It's a chapter regarding the description of the Mubarak turban of the Messenger of Allah. sallallahu so, wearing a turban is a sunnah in the sense that the Prophet ﷺ did it. Islam didn't come down to uh, get people to wear turbans, so if you don't wear a turban, that's fine. But for a person to mock it, for a person to speak ill of it, uh, this much is, uh, is, is is very detestable and blameworthy to the point where uh, the ulama said that it's necessarily known that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ used to wear a turban. And uh, for that reason, throughout much of history, to mock the turban was considered mocking the Prophet sallallahu And it was considered a blasphemy and kufr And uh, I don't mention this so you can go around and say, oh, so-and-so mock the turban, he's a kafir That's not the reason I mentioned it The reason I mentioned it is that what we should know this We should know that the Prophet sallallahu used to wear a turban and We should know how important and how well-known of a thing it was about him Whether we ever wear it or we don't If you don't ever wear a turban, you can still be a very pious and very righteous and very learned uh, person and achieve a high rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but uh, don't mock the way the Prophet used to dress and if someone wishes to wear one in order to imitate the Prophet again it's not a substitute for piety and righteousness and being good to your parents and all these other things it's just a piece of cloth that you wrap on your head but if a person wraps that cloth on their head with the desire of imitating the Prophet in specific it's hoped it's hoped that that person will also receive reward from Allah Taala. And uh, one of the ugliest things I, I hear and see people say is, "Well, you know, Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab used to wear that as well. You're dressing like them." You know, just because Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab did something didn't mean it's bad. And nobody, nobody wears these things in order to imitate them, but they do wear them in order to imitate the Prophet So a person should restrain his tongue uh, and not be so loose with it and, and, and careless with it to say. Uh, just really bad things like that. It's just not something that's worth saying. Uh, Rather, uh, one of the proofs that wearing a turban is actually a a, a, a meritorious act in the deen is literally that the day of Badr, uh, the uh, companions saw the angels uh, wearing turbans uh, uh, and riding piebald horses uh, whose hoofs did not touch the ground, uh, running uh, charge over the mushrikeen, uh, on that day and the angels don't take the form of something khabis. the angels take the form of those things that are pure and beautiful and they don't take the form of something that's ugly uh, and so this is a proof that the wearing of a turban itself is a uh, something from the higher realm from the angelic realm and it's a noble trait it's a noble and mubarak trait in an age that people are racing each other to expose themselves and show their nakedness to one another the wearing of a turban is uh, one of the adab uh, behishti it's one of the celestial and heavenly uh, adab and etiquettes that that this ummah has been taught uh, through nubuwa and yes other people before the prophet used to wear it but where did they learn it from Uh, this is you know there are many things that are those adab of jannah that our forefather Sayyidina Adam a.s. had and just because a person disbelieves in in deen doesn't mean that they're going to discard all of them otherwise uh, even a kafir will like to eat something clean and even a kafir will like to wear clean clothes and even a kafir will like to uh, uh, you know eat clean food uh, this is uh, this is uh, you know these are these are those good things that are deep too and the legacy of uh, of our forefather Adam a.s. whose homeland wasn't Arabia or the Indian subcontinent or Persia or Turkistan uh, Turkestan. Rather his homeland was Jannah. Wabi behi call had Muhammad ibn Bashar ibn Hammad ibn Mahmud ibn An and an Zubairi, and Jabirin, qalad dahala nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Makkatayyum al-fathi wa alayhi imamatun sada'u. Sayyidina Jabir ibn Abdullahi radiallahu anhu, he mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa entered Mecca on the day of Fatha, on the day of conquest, and he was wearing a black turban. And you'll see this that uh, uh, the majority of the narration in the in the Athar with regards to the color of the turban of the Prophet sallam, is black, and this is one of the kind of weird things that people say. They say, "Oh, you're wearing a black turban. You look like this group or like that group," and they'll mention sectarian groups or they'll mention political groups. And the fact of the matter is, the wearing of the black turban is a uh, the wearing of the black turban is actually something that the Prophet sallam, used to do. And yes, the Fuqaha do mention that uh, anything that becomes a shi'ar the, the, uh, of the Ahlul bid'ah, a sign of the Ahlul bid'ah, even if it is in and of itself a sunnah to portray it, then becomes makrooh. Uh, but now we live in a cosmopolitan time and place where so many different cultures come together. Uh, and if a person, uh, if you can explain to them, uh, then if you wear the black turban, like the Mauritanians wear or like the Kandaharis wear uh, in, the, in the West and in the East, uh, who are people of the Sunnah, upright people of the Sunnah, uh, people whose lands are known for their piety and righteousness, uh, then inshallah there's uh, there's no harm. And now, uh, through the proliferation of electronic media, it's easy to know that this is something that is a Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, not a Sunnah of the people of Bid'ah or of a particular uh, race or of a particular political group. ابن أبي عمر قال حدثنا سفيان عن مساور الوراقي عن جعفر بن عمرو بن حريث عن أبيه قال رأيت على رأس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عمامة سوداء and it says that عمر بن حريث narrates that I saw a black turban on the mubarak head of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم mm-hmm. وبي قال حدثنا محمود بن غيلانة Wa Yusuf ibn Aysa Ka Allah had Dathana waqi waqi and musawairin al Waraqi an Jafarin ibni Amrin ibn Hurathan Anabihi and then Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a Khataban nas Khattabana Nasa wa alayhi imamutul soda Allahu akbar the same. Amr bin Hureth uh that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave give khutbah he addressed the people uh, while wearing a black turban. وقال حدثنا هارون بن إسحاق الهمداني وقال حدثنا يحيى بن محمد المديني قال المديني عن عبد العزيز بن محمد عن عبيد الله بن عمر عن نافع عن ابن أمر رضي الله عنهما قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا اعتم سدل عمامته بين كتفيه قال نافع وكان ابن عمر, عمر uh, uh, مني, Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah I'll be pleased with both of them narrates that when the Prophet would tie his Mubarak turban he would hang its tail between his blessed shoulders so the adab, the, the tail of the turban it would hang from the back and it would uh, hang down to between his mubarak shoulder blades. So, not necessarily longer that, uh, n- longer than that, nor uh, 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 shorter than that. Uh, it's narrated in another uh, hadith um, that the Prophet وسلم, uh once, uh, when he was called uh, to the, his uh, noble uh, person was called uh, to the higher realm. Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him a question uh, that the, the uppermost uh, privy council uh, in the heavens the, the uppermost council of angels and spirits uh, Allah asked the prophet what is it that they're discussing right now and the messenger of Allah وسلم, said my lord I don't know and Allah asked him the question thrice and then he felt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala touch him from between the shoulder blades uh, And the the, the coolness uh, of that touch entered and mixed with his heart Now what does that mean? Is it uh, some sort of delil of anthropomorphism? No, rather it's from the mutashabihat, it's using words to describe those things that there are no words to describe but that he felt this sensation that was akin to coolness and it mingled with his Mubarak heart li So whatever it was Allah Ta'ala did the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, I felt that between my shoulder blades and uh, the sensation after it, all, it caused the knowledge of all things to be become manifest to me. And the hadith goes on, you can read it inshallah. But the point of mentioning is that uh, uh, that it also comes in the Athar, that the adab of the Prophet وسلم, one of the reasons it would hang over there is to cover that place where he would feel uh, coolness as well and Allah, Allah Ta'ala knows best <coughs> and says so is that uh, Abdullah bin Umar anhu, he mentions that the Prophet وسلم, when he would wrap his turban he would let hang, uh, uh, he would let hang uh, its tail between his blessed shoulder blades some people make it, so the tail so long it goes all the way down the back. Some people just tuck the tail into it so none of it comes out. The way the Prophet ﷺ used to wear it is that he would let some part of it hang down to his uh, between his blessed shoulder blades. Nafi' said that Abdullah bin Umar radiyallahu anhu would do that as well. Urbaydullah uh, 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 would say uh, uh, that Isa al-Qasim bin Muhammad uh, and Salim do the same. Who is, who is Al Qasim bin Muhammad? It's Al Qasim bin Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, who is one of the Fuqaha Sabah of Medina Munawara. Uh, he's one of the Fuqaha Sabah of uh, Medina Munawara, one of the seven great uh, jurists of Medina Munawara during the time of this, the, the Tabi'een. Uh, upon whose opinion is built the backbone of the madhab of the people of Medina which then later on in the east becomes known as the madhab of Imam Malik uh, although he was the the one who gathered it, he was not the uh, the one who uh, founded it uh, He said that, Ubaidullah says that I saw Al Qasim bin Muhammad uh, wearing his turban the same way and I saw Salim as well Salim is the uh, son of Abdullah bin Omar وأنهما. and he was also, according to one opinion, considered one of the السابعة, and Allah knows best. وبيقال حدثنا يوسف بن عيسى قَالَ حَدَثَنَا وَكِيعٌ قَالَ حَدَثَنَا أَبُو سُلَيْمَانَ وَهُوَ عَبْدُ رَحْمَانٍ أَبْنُ الْغُسِيلِ عن عِكْرِمَةَ عَنْ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ nasa النَّاسَ وعليه, uh, <coughs> So we uh, 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 we see that uh, uh, we see that uh, again uh, the final narration of this chapter uh, by uh, Abdurrahman bin Ghasil, who narrates from Ikrima, who narrates was one of the great students of Abdullah bin Abbas عنهما, who narrates that the Prophet وسلم, uh, 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 he uh, he would خطاب, he would address the people in public speech and he would have a a black turban Uh, he would have on a black turban the word here dasma' is different than soda. that's used for black and one of the meanings of dasma' is also that uh, uh (coughs) is that what? is that uh, 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 dusm is like oil and uh, this is because the Messenger of Allah would always oil his hair it's a noble habit uh, of the Prophet وسلم, from his grooming a person should know oil their hair oil their beard and comb it and So the oil would be they could you know, maybe possible meaning one of the possible meanings of Dasma is that it would uh, That his his turban would have some oil soaked in it and Allah Ta'ala knows best Babu ma izari the chapter which has <coughs> been narrated concerning the description of the lower garment of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the izar or the lower garment of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was an unstitched uh, piece of cloth that he would wrap uh, around his waist as a sarong, uh, what we would re- refer to in the Indic languages as a lungi or as a dhoti uh, uh, and as a sarong in Southeast Asia. Mubi Ahmad ibn Mani'in قال حدثنا إسماعيل ابن إبراهيم قال حدثنا أيوب عن حميد ابنهلال عن أبي بردة عن أبيه قال أخرجت إلينا عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها كيسا ملبدا وإزارا غليظا فقالت قبض الروح رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في هذين سيد عائشة رضي الله عنها it's narrated by أبو بردة uh, the father of Abu Burda uh, um, who, uh, who is Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala, anhum, that uh, Aisha radiallahu anh, brought out for us a patched upper garment meaning what if there's the Prophet sallam, if there's a rip or tear in, uh, in his clothing he would patch it he wouldn't just throw the garment away even though he was the one that people would race to buy him a new garment if he gave any indication that he needed or even wanted one but uh, it was his noble sunnah to use things until the end and uh, this is actually, it's interesting, you know Sheikh uh, Amin is reading the Risalat Qushariya, there's another book on Tasawuf that's written very early on within a decade or so of the Risalat Qushariya that we read from in the past called the uh, um, Kashful Mahjub, Reynolds Nicholson's, the translation is a relatively decent translation and so he actually mentions this, this is a practice of the people, the tariqah, uh, the people, of the spiritual path is that they would would patch their clothing rather than throw it away and so here's a dalil for it so the say that Aisha brought out a a, a patched garment and a a thick and coarse izar obviously thick and coarse clothing uh, was like we mentioned in the past what was more widely and cheaply available in Arabia wool because they had herds uh, the cloth that was made from hair was easier to procure than the cloth that was made from cotton, which is a crop that uh, is a thirsty crop so it had to be imported, the cotton cloth had to be cotton had to be grown and the uh, crop had to be manufactured into cloth uh, from outside so it was, it was more expensive even though it would have been much more comfortable uh, to wear in the desert <clears throat> So he had a coarse and thick Izar uh, uh, and she brought them out and said the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam Allah ta'ala took his uh, ruh Allah ta'ala took his ruh from his body while he was wearing uh, 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 these two garments sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa bihi qahaddathana mahmud ibn ghilana qahaddathana abu dawooda an shu'bah an al-ash'a ibn an al-ash'a ibn ash'a ibn sulaiman قال سمعت عمتي تحدث عن عمها قال بين أنا أمشي بالمدينة إذا إنسان خلفي يقول ارفع يقول إزارك فإنه أتقى وأبقى فإذا هو رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقلت يا رسول الله إنما هي بردة ملحاء قَالَ فِيَّ فَنَظَرْتُ فَإِذَا إِلَىٰ سَاقِيهِ A'sha'ath bin Sulaym narrates that I heard my paternal aunt speak about her paternal uncle uh, uh, who once said uh, and his paternal uncle was Ubaid bin Khalid uh, عنه, who once said I was walking uh, once in Medina Munawara, when a person behind me said lift up your Izar your lower garment Meaning it's hanging too low. Lift up your Izar for it is closer to the fear of Allah Ta'ala and more conducive uh, For long wear meaning if it doesn't drag around the floor, it's not going to get ruined as quickly uh, And lo and behold it was the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so this is the beauty of the Prophet of He gave good advice and gave it with such gentleness and sweetness That a person uh, a person wasn't scared by him Rather it was so subtle that he had to turn around and know who was there I replied, O oh, Messenger of Allah It's only a burdatun uh, malha' And so uh, he said that, O oh, Messenger of Allah It's just a, uh, it's, it's just a common uh, everyday piece of clothing Why should I care so much to preserve it? And the Prophet ﷺ said to him kindly, he said, uh, Am I not uh, an example for you? And then he turned around and saw that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, his, his izar was uh, to the, to the middle, middle of his shins. And so this is what the Fuqaha say, that the garment of the believer should be somewhere between the middle of the shins uh, to the ankles. But it should never drop below the ankles and ideally it should be just barely above the ankles. There's a difference of opinion as to whether having the izar in the middle of the shins is superior uh, The mashaykh I read from most of them say that it's better to be lower because it covers more uh, uh, But uh, not so low that it crosses uh, crosses over into the ankles And Allah Ta'ala knows best But this is the uh, fashion nowadays of the, um, of the people of unbelief and unfortunately many of our people run headlong into imitating it And they'll actually mock and they'll imitate it on purpose Whereas the kuffar when they make their fashions the way they do They don't know anything about the sunnah, that's why they do what they do uh, Whereas our people will not only imitate the kuffar intentionally Knowing that it's a it's a contravention of the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, But then also mocking those who follow the sunnah of the Rasul And it's wrong, it's not right And it's disgusting to be honest with you because uh, I see people with their pants like they'll have a real snazzy looking sharp looking suit And then they'll like for example urinate in the urinal and you'll see drips of urine on the ground and you'll see their pants sweep the thing up on their way out And it looks clean on the outside but what the true cleanliness is the cleanliness of the Messenger of Allah Uh, And it's very, very interesting. You know, haters in the Muslim world have been saying, oh, look, you you guys tell people how to make istinja and uh, how to wash your hands. And, uh, you know, the other people have reached the moon. Well, guess what? Now we live in an age where Harvard professors are showing YouTube videos on like, you know, how how a person should properly wash the hands. So, you know, go figure. It's cleaner and and it's closer to piety. Uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So let a person, you know, if it's not the fashion of the Qom to wear things so high Then don't wear it to the midway of their shins You know, wear it until your ankles But don't don't, don't let it drag below that uh, It's not the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu wa Alaihi Wasallam, Look how sweetly he asked He says, uh, do you not have me as your exemplar? And so imagine if the Prophet were to say to you Of course you would say, of course ya Rasulullah So say it, uh, say it now and follow it. Inshallah, you'll meet him one day and ask him to drink from his Haud, Inshallah, maybe it will come handy that day. So we've gone over our time. There's only uh, uh, two hadith left, so we'll go ahead and, and go through them so as to complete the, the chapter. إلى أنصار الساقه رضي الله عنهم وقال حكذا كانت uh, إزرة صاحبي يعني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم beautiful hadith سلمة بن الأقويء is one of the heroes of the Ansar he was a great warrior uh, and a number of very beautiful hadiths are narrated from him and a very a uh, very wonderful and 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 noble and brave and beautiful person uh, he narrates رضي الله عنه <coughs> That Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan, his izar, his lower garment, uh, was to the midpoint of his shins. And uh, he said, this is how my my, my, my my companion used to wear his izar. And by that he meant the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who was his friend from um, from from before Islam, uh, as well as after Iqra. Uh, وَبِهِ قَالَ حَدَّثْنَا قتابة. قَالَ حَدَّثْنَا أَبُوْ أَحْوَصِي An أَبِّي إِسْحَاقَ عن Muslim ابن نذير عن حذيفة بن اليماني قال أخذ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ساقي او ساقيه. فقال هذا موضع الازار فان أبيت فان أبيت فلا حق للازار uh, so we see hudhaifah ibn al reported that the prophet once took hold of my calf or of his own mubarak calf uh, um, the the calf the muscle uh, in the in the in the upper part of the uh, like just below the knee and so this is a doubt of one of the narrators so he took a hold of the calf he doubted whether it was the calf of Abu Hudayfa uh, or sorry Al Hudayfa or uh, the, the, his own Mubarak calf Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said this is where the izar should reach if you don't if you wish to make it lower, then let it go lower. But uh, if you uh, refuse even that, then know that the izar has no right uh, to hang uh, uh, below the ankles. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gave us such a beautiful example in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa all things inward, outward, big and small. And none of the sunnahs of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi are small and uh, this is our fourth dars and with it insha'Allah uh, Ramadan will start if Allah gives us Taufiq insha'Allah someday we'll, we'll finish this reading and uh, uh, but uh, my heartfelt request to you is to make dua that Allah Ta'ala by the barakah of anta that by the barakah of Allah wasn't to uh, make their torment as long as you're amongst them and Allah Ta'ala wouldn't make their torment uh, as long as they seek uh, forgiveness that we seek forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala and we tried to bring whatever it was from his Mubarak Messenger SallAllahu uh, into our eyes and into our hands and into our ears and into our hearts and on our tongues and we all sat together for these couple of hours and said SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam together that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala here our prayers and hear uh, these c- clean and pure utterances from our tongues and that emanate from our hearts. And that He take mercy on us and that He protect us and He protect our calm and He protect our neighbors and protect our people and give guidance to our calm and uh, uh, bring about through these circumstances uh, something good for us in this world and the hereafter. صلى الله تعالى على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم ربنا اغفر لنا وارحمنا وتقبل منا ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى به واختم لنا بالحسن وارفع بأيدينا راية الإسلام بركة الفاتحة And salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.